Dr. Anthony Fauci, the head of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, made a surprising announcement just a few weeks ago that the clinical trials looking into the antiviral drug remdesivir were quote unquote going very well. He even went as far as to say that this drug would be the new standard of care for COVID-19 patients. But is this a little bit too much, a little too soon? Welcome to the Health Note Show podcast, a show where we break down the hottest medical topics so that you can use facts to make informed choices about your health. I'm your host, Kevin Mutore, and join me as we explore the antiviral drug remdesivir. I'll start today by explaining what a randomized control trial is and why they're so important in medicine. Next, I'll break down the remdesivir clinical trials, and I'll end the show with my opinion of this treatment. If you're wondering whether we've got the cure for COVID-19, this episode is for you. Thank you so much for joining me for the second ever episode of the Health Note Show. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review on Apple, letting me know what you liked and what you want to hear about in future episodes. Also, make sure to check out last week's episode where we took a deep dive into stay-at-home orders. And always make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Health Notes Show. Thank you so much for joining me again for the second episode of the Health Notes Show. I was actually planning on releasing this episode uh, last week, but the data that Dr. Anthony Fauci was talking about was finally made available in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it blew up on the Twitter sphere, so I decided to take a few days just so I could comb through it and bring you guys the most up-to-date and factual information. But before we dive into the data, I want to take a few moments to explain to you what a randomized control trial is, because I think that this background information is going to be very important. I've gotten a lot of questions and messages about unproven therapies when it comes to the coronavirus, and you can find these everywhere online. And I want you guys to understand why it's so important not to use anecdotal information as a basis for treating yourself. So a randomized control trial is an experimental setup for testing new drugs. It's been around uh, for a long time and is actually the gold standard in medicine for testing new treatments. So let's say you're a tire manufacturer and you've just created a brand new set of tires that you believe is going to make cars on the road faster. And you're convinced of this, so you decide to go out to the track and test it. In front of you, you have, I don't know, uh, sports cars and some sedans. So you decide to slap this brand new set of tires on all of the sports cars and you put regular tires on all of the four-door sedans and you allow them to go around the track a few times and you measure how fast they do it and you calculate the results and you find out that the sports car group all went a lot faster. Right off the bat, you can tell that something was completely wrong with this experiment and it wasn't very fair. So let's say you realize this and you decide to run this experiment again and this time you mix up the car so you have an equal amount of sedans and sports car in each group. This brings me to my first point which is randomization. In randomized controlled trials, you take patients and you separate them out either into a treatment group which is the group uh, that will be receiving the new drug that you're trying to test out, and a control group, which will receive a placebo, which is a fake medication. So this can be either a sugar pill or a water injection if you're testing out uh, an injectable drug. This is important because, think about it, if, let's say I was a researcher and I had this new drug that I really wanted to test and I got to pick where patients went, I may subconsciously 
put the sicker patients in the treatment group because I'm like, hey, you can really benefit from this medication. And I wouldn't even realize that I was doing this. And kind of like the, the, the sports car versus sedan example, it may bias the results from the outset. So in randomized controlled trials, it's important that this randomization happens because it eliminates bias and it facilitates something called blinding, which we'll discuss in a little bit. And it allows us to say that the differences between the treatment and the control group is actually due to the drug and not some inherent differences in characteristics between both groups, kind of like the putting all the sports cars in one group and all the sedans in another. Randomized control trials go even a step further than this and they do something called blinding. In a single blind study, uh, patients don't know whether or not they're part of the treatment group or the control group. In a double-blind study, re both researchers and patients don't know whether or not they're in a control group or a treatment group. This is done once again to reduce bias. Uh, if you're a researcher and you know a patient is receiving the treatment, the way you report results might be a little bit different. The way you talk to the patient might be a little bit different. And this can have a profound effect on the result of the clinical trial, which means that your data might not be the most accurate. Now there's four different stages of clinical trials to make sure that every drug that comes to market is both safe and effective. Uh, they're separated into four phases, so phase one, two, three, and four. Phase one clinical trials are done on a small number of healthy volunteers. The purpose of this portion of the trial is to figure out whether or not a drug is actually safe. Uh, once you got that figured out, you can move to the next phase, which is phase two, where you enroll a small number of disease patients this time, and you figure out what the efficacy of this new drug that you're working on is and possible side effects. So this is more of a fine-tuning of the dosage and figuring out what the side effect profile is at that dose range. Phase three, this is when you enroll a huge number of uh, disease patients, and the purpose of this phase is to figure out the effectiveness of the drug and to monitor for any adverse reaction like nausea, vomiting, uh, etc. And at this point, you can figure out whether or not it improves on the current standard of care. And phase four, it's called post-marketing surveillance. So you've actually gotten your drug out to the market. And this time you monitor for side effects or long-term consequences of using this drug. There's actually a medication called Vioxx, which was a pain medication that was taken off the market because phase four surveillance noticed that people who took Vioxx would end up getting heart attacks. So all of these phases are really important to make sure that um, a drug is safe, that it works, that it improves on current treatments, and finally, that it's safe to use long term. Now, with that basic understanding of randomized controlled trials, let's get into it. Let's talk about remdesivir. Remdesivir is a drug that was created by Gilead and was first studied as a potential therapeutic option for hepatitis C. Unfortunately, it didn't really work that well, so what they decided to do is repurpose that drug, and it was used as a treatment for Ebola during the 2013 outbreak. Unfortunately, years later, they found out that this drug wasn't as effective as monoclonal antibodies in treating Ebola, so it was pulled again. However, remdesivir, when it was first created, did show effectiveness against the SARS and MERS coronaviruses. So when this outbreak happened, 
Remdesivir jumped to the front of the line as possible treatment options. Think about it. It makes more sense to use a drug that you know has some effectiveness against a coronavirus than trying to develop a new drug from scratch. Since it was used for so many years during the Ebola outbreak, we already had a pretty good idea that this drug was safe and very well tolerated. So how does remdesivir work? Before you can understand how remdesivir works, let's talk about viruses. Viruses are tiny microscopic parasites that require a host cell in order to replicate. Using that car analogy from earlier on, think of a virus as this thing that has all of the parts required to make a car. So it has tires, it has the engine, it has the doors, but unfortunately it doesn't have the tools to put everything together. So when you look at the coronavirus, we have evidence that shows that it requires a type of cell in the human body called a type 2 pneumocyte in order to replicate. And if you want to learn more about that, make sure to check out my last episode on stay-at-home orders where I took a deeper dive into this particular topic. So how does a virus know what cell type to infect? Viruses are tiny balls of genetic information that are surrounded by this shell with little spikes on it made out of proteins. If you think of this as kind of like a, a one of those tennis balls, then the host cell surface would be a Velcro pad, and the virus kind of rolls around in the human body until it comes across a right Velcro pad where it sticks and is taken up by the host cell. It's at this point that the virus hijacks the cellular machinery and starts to replicate. When it comes to the coronavirus, we know that in the human body, at least, we have evidence that it's the type 2 pneumocytes, which are found inside the lung. So remdesivir works by preventing the coronavirus from making additional copies of itself once it makes it into a host cell. So now let's look at the trials. So the Gilead trial enrolled 397 patients and separated them into a 5-day uh, course of remdesivir and a 10-day course with uh, remdesivir. And what they were looking at was clinical improvement uh, using a seven point scale with one being death and seven being discharge and with everything in between being different levels of support. When we look at the Gilead trial, we can say that it was randomized. Was it blinded? Unfortunately, it wasn't because the researchers and the patients knew that they were getting the remdesivir. And the results show no actual difference between the five-day course and the 10-day course. Now, this should be good news, right? Because what this says is that a five-day course is equally as effective as a 10-day course, which is important to know because if you have a drug that works, you could treat twice as many patients with half the amount of drug. Now, there's a huge glaring gap that I hope some of you picked up on. Did you notice that I never mentioned a control group? Not having a control group means that with the Gilead trial, we have no idea whether the five-day course or the 10-day course was as good as doing nothing at all. And this is what the press never picks up. With the basics that you got at the beginning of this episode, most of you have already picked up the fact that the Gilead trial, and I use the word trial very lightly, weren't that very effective at communicating whether or not remdesivir was a viable treatment option for the coronavirus. Now we move on to the trial that came out of China by Dr. Wong, and this one enrolled 237 patients with COVID that were found in 10 hospitals in the Wuhan region. Now in this trial, patients either received 10 days worth of placebo or 10 days worth of remdesivir, 
and they were swabbed eight times <laughs> for confirmation that they whether or not they still had COVID. And I don't know if you guys have ever been through those nose swabs, but they're uh, they're not that fun. Unfortunately, the researchers mentioned that they wanted around 453 patients, uh, but they weren't able to get enough uh, to enroll because this research was conducted during the tail end of the Chinese outbreak. But just looking at this study, we can already tell that it's a lot better than the Gilead trial because we have a control group that received the 10-day worth of placebo and a treatment group that received the 10-day remdesivir. And it was double-blinded, which meant both the researchers and the patients in the trial didn't know which group they belonged in. And most importantly, it was randomized, meaning the patients were placed in either the control or the treatment group at random. So what were the results? This trial showed that there was no statistical difference between the 10-day placebo group and the 10-day remdesivir group in terms of clinical improvement. And that doesn't bode very favorably for remdesivir. But remember, the researchers were looking to get about 450 patients into this trial and weren't able to do so. This means that this study was underpowered it wasn't good enough to tease out the lack of difference because there wasn't enough chances for them to measure the effect of remdesivir. Finally, we come to the ACT-1 trial or the trial that's being paid for by the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases that Dr. Fauci leads. Um, they looked at 1,063 patients, all who were hospitalized patients with COVID, and who had evidence of lower respiratory tract infection, so infection inside of the lung. It was randomized, it was blinded, and it compared patients receiving a 10-day course of remdesivir and a 10-day course of placebo, like the Chinese study. What they were studying was the average time to recovery, with recovery being defined as not being hospitalized with no limitations of activities, not hospitalized, with some limitation of activities or uh, home oxygen requirement or both, hospitalized but not requiring supplemental oxygen and no longer requiring ongoing medical care. So patients that were in a holding pattern after being recovered from COVID-19. The results of this trial showed that uh, patients receiving remdesivir usually recovered within 11 days versus 15 days for patients receiving placebo. Remdesivir also showed a slight mortality benefit, but was not statistically significant. So looking at this trial, it was randomized, it was blinded, uh, there was a control group to compare the treatment group to, and it did show uh, average time to recovery that was uh, four days shorter. So what does this mean? This means that remdesivir is obviously more effective when you compare it to placebo, but Reading this paper and looking at the data, I'm more inclined to think that remdesivir is more effective when given earlier on than later on when patients are really, really sick with COVID-19. Uh, and even though it showed a slight mortality benefit, that benefit was not significant. And remember, this drug works by blocking the replication of COVID-19 inside of host cells. It does nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, to prevent the severe inflammatory response that has killed so many patients. And there are actually clinical trials that are looking at using remdesivir with anti-inflammatory drugs as a combination to see if it'll help with the more severe cases of COVID-19.
Now, it's important to remember that this pandemic is still in its infancy. So you're seeing a lot of random drugs being touted as cures. But it's important to remember that there's already a system in place to test drugs and make sure that they are both safe and effective. And that's called the randomized controlled trial. And unfortunately, these trials take a little bit of time. So as you sit there and you're scrolling Facebook or the internet, and you see people claiming that a certain drug mixed with a certain vitamin is a cure for COVID or will prevent COVID, it's really important to know that there's literally no way possible we can know that for sure. Plus, every single drug has side effects. So there's no real way to know whether the benefits outweigh the risks without a proper randomized control trial. And that's my opinion. You have the facts. Now what's yours? Thank you so much for listening to the Health Note Show podcast. Join me next week as we discuss the coronavirus vaccine. When will it be available? Will it be safe? Make sure to tune in to find out. And remember to always subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and to leave a five-star review. It will really help the show grow. I'm your host, Kevin Mutore, reminding you to always get the facts before opinions. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information contained in the show are for informational purposes only. None of the material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this show.